Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady uh, from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, anything that's come up in your Bible reading that you're unsure about or would like some help with. We'd love to talk to you and explore that with you. And we invite you to also call with your prayer requests. If you have something going on in your life that you'd like advice for or prayer about, we would love to talk to you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. I want to say welcome to everybody tuning in, wherever you're tuning in from. I want to say hi to everybody who is listening here in Colorado and in southern Wyoming on Grace FM, up and down the Front Range. Uh, welcome to the program. Glad you tuned in today. We also want to say hi to everybody who listens on the East Coast. We are syndicated on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. So if you're in the Philadelphia area, all the way down to D.C. and all the way up into New Jersey, we are glad that you have tuned in today and we would love to hear from you. Give us a call. I also want to say hello to those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and Northern uh, Carolina, or sorry, North Carolina, and Kentucky. And so, welcome to the program. We're so glad that you tuned in today. We want to remind you that those of you listening on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. But we would love to hear you, hear from you, and have you call in, and then you can tune in the following week and listen to yourself live on the radio. So we also want to give a big hello to everybody who listens online. We know there's so many of you who listen on the app. Um, We have a great mobile app. If you go and look for it in whatever app store you use, if it's Android or iPhone, you can find us in there. And just type in Grace FM in the search bar and it'll come up. And you can listen to us wherever you are. If you're on the go, if you're in your house and you don't use a, a traditional radio anymore, I know there's so many of you. That's how our family is. And so I know there's so many others of you. So download that app and you can listen on your phone wherever you're at, over your speaker or or just on your phone. And you can also listen in the browser. So if you just go to our website, gracefm.com, you can listen live there right in the browser. So however you've tuned in today, we're so glad that you are here and welcome to the program. Again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. Again, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church located in Longmont, Colorado, a church that loves Jesus, and we love to study God's Word and worship Him. And so I, uh, I'm the pastor of Whitefields, and we are in Longmont. If you are in the Longmont area, whether you're in Longmont proper or in any of the surrounding areas, whether it's uh, out to the east in Frederick, Firestone, Dakono, we have so many people who, who live out there who come to our church and, and down into Lafayette, Erie, North Boulder, 
lions and all the way up into Berthoud. If you're in the Longmont area, we would love to have you come and join us and worship with us and visit us at Whitefields. Our church meets at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, so 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, every Sunday, at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which if you are in Longmont, you might be familiar with it. It's a historical building right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue. So the St. Vrain Memorial Building, 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We are uh, That building, by the way, is right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. So we're right downtown, and we meet at 10 a.m. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to be getting, we're beginning a new series, which I'm really excited about. I'll tell you about that in a second. But our website, for those of you who want to find us online, is whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com, and on there you can find all, all kinds of good stuff, our old teachings, you know, past teaching and information about our church and, and all kinds of good stuff that you might be looking for. And you can also hear me, by the way, on every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Grace FM. We have a show called Life in the Field. So it's every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. Uh, so this past Sunday, we just concluded a series, which which I was really excited about. And man, our church was our church responded to it so well. And it was just a really, really good, powerful series. It was called The Trouble Is. And what we did is we took six weeks to address some of the biggest questions and hurdles that people have in regard to Christianity. So stuff like, is the Bible true? Has it been changed? Can we really trust it? Let's look at some facts and let's let's hear the other sides. You know, what are, what are the criticisms that Christianity sometimes gets? Let's look them straight in the face and, and give an answer and be honest about it. So we, we talked about the Bible, if we can trust it. We talked about hypocrisy. You know, it if Christianity creates people who are hypocrites, then is Christianity somehow flawed? And so we talked about that. Um, we talked about science. Does science um, bury God? Does science bury the Bible? Uh, we talked about the Christ myth, which is the idea that uh, Christianity just borrows all of its ideas from uh, ancient Egyptian gods like Horus and, and um, Osiris and things like that. And then we talked about the idea of suffering, evil and suffering, the existence of evil and suffering in the world. Do they somehow um, cause us to not believe that God is either good or God is all-powerful or that God even exists at all? And then just yesterday, we finished the series by talking about uh, one final issue, and that is exclusivity and hell. And these are issues which some people, maybe they say it's not that they have trouble wrapping their minds around it, it's that they find them disturbing or repulsive. And so we talked about that, and we talked about what does the Bible say about it. We dispelled a lot of misnomers. So that's fresh on my mind. It was really good. Um, and so if you have any interest in, in that stuff, go ahead and check it all out on whitefieldschurch.com, or you can call me here at the show and we can talk about some of those issues live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. This coming Sunday, we are starting a new series in the Letter to the Romans, which is uh, epic, so I'm excited about getting into that. But let's go to our call-in line. We've got one call right now from Jay in Denver, so... Jay, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, man? <clears throat> going great. What's up? Good. Uh, so I had a question about Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been a really popular verse amongst me and my friends lately. And uh, I just wanted to make sure I had the correct interpretation of that chapter. Okay. Um, so I'm driving right now. I got my eyes on the road and trying to read at the same time. Yeah. Well, I'm about, to, I'm about to pull over. But uh, anyways, you know, we're talking about uh, he has the vision of the lampstand within the olive trees, and then there's the, uh, my interpretation of the, of the 
chapter is like you know the how the oil is always uh, representative of the Holy Spirit okay. in the Bible, and then you know, how it has the oil flowing into the lampstands, which keeps the keeps the uh, fire burning and stuff. It's like fuel for the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my understanding of the, of the chapter is like he's seeing these things, and he's seeing how the you know the oil is is feeding the fire to the lampstands, and then God comes in and he's like says the whole not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord thing and so my uh my understanding is, of the vision anyways is just like understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one to empower the way that we live our lives as Christians and you know, that's what keeps the fire burning and things like that. Is that would that be a correct interpretation of that chapter? Yeah, I think for the most part you're on the right track. I think just let's keep the big picture of what is going on in um, the big, you know, what what all is happening. That's actually a fairly short chapter in the in the whole book of Zechariah. I think Zechariah, by the way, is one of the most difficult um, books of the Bible to interpret. It's very difficult. Uh, there's one of these ones where there are several times where we look at it, and there are these. It's full of messianic prophecies. And it's actually one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. It's full of these visions and symbols, though, which is, it's, it falls in the same genre as like the book of Revelation in the sense that it's apocalyptic and it's eschatological, meaning it deals with end times things, but not, uh, whereas Zechariah doesn't always deal with end times things. So remember the context that it was written in is that it was written after the people of Israel had come back to the land of Israel from exile in Babylon and then Persia, right? They've come back and now they're rebuilding the temple. So when it talks about Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the guy who was uh, rebuilding the temple. And so one of the biggest takeaways from this chapter, so I'll just uh, read you a few verses. He talks about in the previous part, right? He talks about... um, this vision of Joshua the high priest, and it's this vision they're going to rebuild the temple. So this is something that was actually happening in the time uh, Zechariah wrote for the people of Israel at that time, right? So they had, they were coming back, and they needed to rebuild the temple which had been destroyed. So this, that temple that they built at this time, right? We read about that like Nehemiah and this whole period of time. It was called the second temple, and you might remember that uh, when the people saw the second temple they looked at it and they wept aloud because the glory of the second temple didn't reach the glory of that they remembered from the first temple because they were in Babylon for about 75 years. So there were some people, and, and they didn't all get taken away at the same time. So, right, there were some people who actually remembered, the older people actually remembered the first temple. But you got to understand the situation that's being spoken to here is the people have come back from exile and they're looking at the land and they're starting to feel like this is an impossible task. Like, how do we actually do this? How can we rebuild this temple? And so God calls this guy Joshua to be the high priest. And then he calls this guy Zerubbabel to kind of be the project manager. He's going to, he's going to be the one pushing through this project. And that's where he's speaking to this thing. So as far as the, the lampstand, I got to tell you, the lampstand, I do believe speaks of the Holy Spirit, it speaks of God's presence. That's what the, the light of God's presence and the light of, I could say that you could say the Spirit of God and that it will inhabit this place, right? That, so there's going to be this temple. The, the Spirit of God is going to come back and dwell among them and he's going to empower Zerubbabel to do this work, Zerubbabel and the people, even though it seems like an impossible task. 
Does that make sense? So I'll just read you a few verses. He says, um, so he says about the lampstand, the very first few verses, but then it says, the angel who talked with me, verse five, said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hands also shall complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. Okay, so what he's talking about here is he's talking about it seems like an impossible task they've been called to do, which was to rebuild the temple. But God says, you're going to do it. Zerubbabel's doing it. He's, he's going to lead the way, and I'm going to empower you to do it, and I'm going to give you my spirit to inhabit uh, the temple. Right, right. Yeah, I was reading that right alongside with you. I pulled over here. That's, that's awesome. So, I think that's the I biggest mean, mistake that a lot of people make, by the way. Uh, uh, when it comes to reading some of the prophetic books is that they don't zoom out first and get the big picture context of all that's happening in the setting in which it was written. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it would definitely have a lot to do with, you know, the context and understanding the original part of it. Would you say that uh, the whole, well, I mean, obviously I would think the whole not by might nor by power, but by my spirit thing applies not only to this situation, but also to everyone as a Christian, that you can't, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's like, you got to have the power of the Holy Spirit in order to produce the fruits of the Spirit, you know, and just like, so it's kind of like, yeah, look at it from the from the context to understand it historically and everything, but then also as a way to like live our lives as well as far as being led by the Holy Spirit and Yep. So what what that's called is, it's called exegesis. Exegesis is the first task of studying the Bible, right? So the first task is, okay, I understand what the text means and the context in which it was written and what it meant to the original readers. And then the next task is the what we call hermeneutics, which is where you are actually taking those principles and then applying them to yourself, which is exactly what you did just in what you just said. So you're doing the right thing. And that that's for all of our listeners out there, I, I just want to encourage you. This is this is the model for how we study the Bible and, and a good, you know, if you're wondering how do I actually go about reading the Bible and applying it to my life, these are start with these two steps. What did it mean for the original hearers? That's the exegetical part. And so we figure out that part. What did it mean for the original hearers? What does it mean in the original context? And then we come back and we say, Okay, now what how do those principles apply to my life? And so like you're saying, the work of God must be done by the power of God. And like you're saying, the, the fruits of the Spirit only come about by, by God's power in our lives. Right. right. Now, well, now I, I will... I really appreciate... Uh, yeah. One, one more thing on, on Zechariah is that um, not all of the book, though, speaks to what was happening at Zechariah's present time when he wrote. So that part does. But then like later on, especially from chapter 9 until the end in, ver- in chapter 14, those are actually prophecies about future things that are, that are going to happen at a later time, and even in our own time, they still have not been fulfilled. Okay. Awesome, yeah. I'll definitely uh, do some more studying through that book, for sure. Cool. So, 
Hey, uh, could I throw out a prayer request while I'm on the line? Absolutely. What's up? Uh, well, today my buddy and I, uh, we're both Christians, and then we're working with this guy that is not. Mm -hmm. um, but he's been having a lot of problems in his life. His name's Mike. Uh, he's my boss, and uh, I've just been trying to minister to him. I mean, he lost his dad, and then there's just a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on. And uh, we got to pray for him today, and he seemed really impacted by it. And so I just want to pray for him to come to salvation and uh, just for his life to be impacted by the Lord. So, Yeah, would you say your coworker's name was Mike? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Now let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jay and his heart for you, his heart to know you and to know your word and to share it with other people, to share the gospel and the hope of salvation with them that you give him. Lord, I pray that you would bless him and that you'd make him effective for your kingdom. Lord, just as we read these verses, we, we pray, pray the same thing would apply. Lord, may it not be by might nor by power, but may it be by your spirit. Lord, may your spirit be the one who brings out change in this co-worker Mike's life. And Lord, would you use Jay and his his fellow co-worker who are, who are sharing the gospel. Lord, we pray for this uh, guy Mike and his wife, Lord, that they would really understand who you are, Jesus, and what you've done, and that it would change and impact their lives. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of this time of, of, of weeping, mourning, of this time of losing his father, Lord, that you'd be with Mike and that he would sense your presence and that he would also have a sense of the urgency of the gospel because of the fragility of life and that, that he would really in this time, turn to you and put his faith in you and that you'd use um, Jay and his co-worker in that process. So, Lord, we pray blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the call. God bless you, Jay. God bless you, man. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have all open lines right now, so it's a good time if you've been wanting to call in. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line while we're waiting for those calls to come in. And we have one uh, texter who writes, Dear Pastor Nick, could you clarify for me who, if any people, will get saved during the tribulation? I have heard some pastors say that nobody will get saved, and others say that a lot of people will get saved during this time. Thank you. And this person's name is Joshua. So Joshua, um, my answer to your question is that I do believe that people will get saved during the tribulation. In fact, I believe that a lot of people will become Christians during the tribulation. I think that for many people, and I actually think that this is one of the purposes of the tribulation. For those who might not know what we're talking about, the Bible does speak of a, a great time of tribulation that will take place um, as the end times get closer and as the end times calendar you know, moves forward. So there will be a great time of tribulation before the return of the Lord. And Will there be a lot of people who get saved? Yes, I do think the answer is yes. Many people will get saved. For many people, that will be a wake-up call. And those people will then um, be Christians, and they, we see that in Revelation in several places. Um, let me just open up Revelation, and I'll kind of walk you through some of the places where we see that. We see those. Uh, we see people who, for example, during the tribulation in Revelation are killed for their faith. 
And um, there's one specific place that I have in mind that I'm not finding. But what they say is that these people are are killed during the tribulation, and those people go to God and to the throne of God, and they say, um, God, how long? How long until justice is done? And how long until judgment will come upon these people who uh, have done these things to us? And so, anyway, long story short, there are many people um, throughout the tribulation. We see them in the book, both uh, in Revelation, what's happening is that we're seeing the perspective from heaven. So John in chapter 4 gets this vision where he gets caught up to um, to heaven in, ch- in the first verse of chapter 4. And then from the perspective of heaven, he is watching what is happening on the earth as uh, tribulation happens. So first of all, persecution against uh, believers. But secondly, the other thing that's happening is that God is pouring out judgment upon those who have um, who have been uh, rebelling against him or, or those who have been persecuting the believers and so we see that there are indeed many people on the earth who do become Christians another example of this is that we see that there are two evangelists like in chapter 11 of Revelation two evangelists who go out and they proclaim uh, Jesus and many people we see turn to the Lord from them so Again, yes, the answer is is quite simple. I think the answer is yes, there are many people who become Christians during the tribulation. I actually can't understand why anybody would would say why no one would become a Christian during the tribulation. I just don't see that as being something that the scriptures talk about. So thank you, Joshua, for your question. I hope that answers it. We still have open lines. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You could uh, call in and if you have a question about the Bible, if you have a question about something going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Uh, we had a call, uh, we had a text message that came in and here's what they, this person said. They said, uh, for years I have prayed for a friend of mine to be uh, set free from homosexuality. When the laws changed, she got married. And now it feels different to pray for deliverance because it feels like I'm praying for someone to get divorced. Does the new law change the way that we should pray for this issue? Uh, and this is from Kim in Aurora, Colorado. So Kim, yeah, I, I sympathize with you. My answer is no. I don't think the new law changes the way that we should pray for this issue. I think that as uh, Christians, our our primary allegiance and our primary, um, you know, where we need to um, where we need to be focused is on the kingdom of God. You know, I, I put it this way: that the gospel is inherently political, but it is political in the sense that it proclaims a king and a kingdom, and that king is Jesus. The kingdom is the kingdom of God, and it's a kingdom which is not of this world. And our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom must supersede uh, that of this world, right? So we should be the best possible citizens, and like Romans 13 tells us that we should obey the laws of our country. But we also have a very good example um, of, for example, in Acts chapter 4, we see that the Christians go out preaching the gospel and the authorities come and they tell them, hey, you can't do that anymore. And they say, sorry, in this case, we have to obey God and not you. 
right? If it was an issue of a speed limit, if it was an issue of, you know, paying taxes or whatever it might be, then we should always obey the laws of our country, except so up until the point when we have to choose between what God says and what uh, the laws say, then our allegiance must be primarily to our king, Jesus and his kingdom. And so in this case, uh, if the if our land has a law and uh, that 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 redefines what marriage is, I think that we as Christians still adhere to what the Bible says about marriage being between one man and one woman and um, before God forever. So that is, um, I think that you can still pray for your friend to uh, come out of homosexuality, and I don't, uh, I don't think that you'll be wrong in praying for that. So um, thank you for that question, Kim and Aurora. I hope that, that answers it well for you. Let's go to... Uh, Tom in Hudson, Colorado. Hey, Tom, hey, welcome to the program. Doing great. What's up? Um, I'm just wondering if you can straighten me out on the 144,000. Okay. What is your question on it? I don't understand any of it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it definitely, here's here's what I'm going to tell you how I understand it. Um, there's one sense in which um, people wonder, is this symbolic, right? Because this is a book full of symbolism. And um, is it exactly 144,000 people, right? Is it, it's not 139,999 people. It's exactly 144,000 people. I don't know. I, I think that we can take it literally or it could be that it's very much symbolic. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what it what it does absolutely represent either way, whether it's a symbolic number or an actual literal number. And that is this, that these are Jewish people. That's one thing that's made very clear, right? So it says, um, so this is Revelation chapter 7 is where it's found, just so we know. Okay, so it says, I heard from the, I heard the number of the sealed, was 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, and he goes on, 12,000 from each of these tribes, right? Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, uh, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Okay, so what it's talking about, these are people on the earth. So again, I, I mentioned earlier what is happening in Revelation. We have a picture where John has been caught up to heaven in chapter 4, verse 1. And from heaven, he's watching, from the perspective of heaven, he's now watching what's happening on earth as the wrath of God is being poured out, or you could say the judgment of God is being poured out, and this great tribulation, this time of trouble is taking place. And um, here's my interpretation of the 144,000. They are... Uh, 144,000 or some symbolic number of Jewish people, specifically Jewish people, who during this time become Christians. They, maybe this was the wake-up call that they needed was um, for this, this period of time to take place. And as a result, now they have responded to the gospel. They have received Jesus as their Savior. You know, earlier we were talking about Zechariah, and there's this very amazing, interesting prophecy in Zechariah where he says that Jesus, the Messiah, will make himself known to the Jewish people and he will appear to them and he will say, he'll appear wounded and they will say, where did you get those wounds? And he'll say, I got them in the house of my friends and then all of Israel will be saved. And of course, Romans tells us that all of Israel refers to those who are believers are, are the true seed of Abraham. And so I believe these are people who during the tribulation period become Christians and they are Jewish people. So I hope that answers your question. We are coming up on our break, but go ahead and I'll give you a chance to respond. And then I'm going to have to let you go because we're going to go to break. 
Uh, that's yeah. I was just wondering uh, the the twelve tribes and twelve thousand from each tribe and all of that. It was that's where they got their one hundred and forty four. Yeah, well, that's exactly what it says there in Revelation chapter three, starting in verse four, going down to verse eight. So it actually lists twelve thousand, and then it lists the twelve tribes that they're from. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll read on it some more and scratch my head. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, yeah, I think that, I hope that gives you some direction on it. So. Yeah. God bless okay, you. Thank Thanks you. for calling in. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. We are going to be back in just a minute after the break. The number to call is 303-690-3000. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts on the air today, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Hey, I just want to take the opportunity right now to invite you. If you are in the Longmont, Colorado area, we'd love to have you join us and uh, visit our church at Whitefields uh, Community Church. We meet in downtown Longmont, and you can find out more information, listen to some of our teachings, and then find out more about us at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And we'd love to have you join us for worship. And we have a we have a solid children's ministry. If you have kids, we'd love to teach them. We do a cool curriculum called the Gospel Project, where we take the kids through the entire Bible over the course of three years. And right now we are kind of towards the tail end of that. We're now in, uh, our kids are learning about the New Testament. But the thing I love about the Gospel Project is it, it helps the kids to see how each part of the Bible points to Jesus. I think that's something that can happen a lot in children's ministry is that it can become very moralistic, right? We can look for only moral lessons to teach kids because kids generally tend towards moral moralism anyway. They tend to look for right and wrong and black and white. But we want to help them to see not only not focus only on what they do, but we want to we want them to learn to focus on what Jesus has done for us and the message of the gospel. So we'd love to have you join us. Check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com if you're up in the Longmont area or you know someone else who is. Let's go back to our calls. We have Sean calling from Tennessee. Hey, Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, buddy. Hey there. Hey, I'm glad to hear from somebody in Tennessee. I think you're my second caller from Tennessee, really? so glad to have you. Well, I'm glad to be here. Cool. So what's up? Okay, so uh, my question is, um, I have a buddy that's a free will Baptist, um, and I'm missionary Baptist. Uh, I believe that uh, once saved, always saved, uh, eternal security. Uh, my buddy, uh, on the other hand, does not does not agree with that. Uh, I, I was just curious what your outlook was, and, and if, if you could maybe help me, you know, shed a little bit more light, uh, you know, on the on the question. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I'll just kind of put it this way. I don't really like the term uh, once saved, always saved for some reasons, but I also um, don't like the the idea that you can lose your salvation. So I'm going to kind of 
address both of those issues. So I don't like this phrase, right, of losing your salvation, the idea that you can, that salvation is something you can lose. We'll talk about that. But I also take issue with the implications of saying something like once saved, always saved. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that and, and why I hold those positions and what the Bible says. So um, eternal security. I think that we are secure in Jesus. And, uh, and I, do, I do believe that that's really important. Um, I think here's, here's the issue with like, the idea of losing your salvation, that salvation is something that you can have and then somehow lose. Now, I, I really think, especially the language of losing it, it, it implies that it's something is happening to you that you don't want to happen, that you did on ac- that happened to you kind of accidentally against your will or desires. Like it was, uh-huh. you know, oops, like I lost my keys, I lost my yeah. kids in the grocery store, and I lost my salvation. Right. Like it's something I had and oops, I lost it. And darn it. Right. Like um, and and the implication of this is, you know, I think what's really important is to think about the words that the Bible uses when it talks about salvation and then try and turn them around. Okay, so, for example, it's salvation is described. It says that we are born again to new life Uh in Christ. And my question is, yeah, can you be unborn again? How can you can you be made a new creation and then revert back to the old creation i just don't see that in the scripture Amen. i only see that um, that we're made a new creation i don't see that we're ever unborn again right mm-hmm. um here's another one is that it talks about being sealed with the holy spirit when we receive jesus okay mm-hmm. so can you ever get like unsealed like i just That's don't right. see that in the bible um and so that's the other thing. And here's the other part about losing your salvation. Jesus makes it clear in John 10. He talks about how he's the good shepherd and he won't let any of his sheep be snatched out of his hand. Right. So he's not going right. to not going to let that happen to you um, as it as if something, you know, befell you that you weren't expecting or, or something like that. Now, here's here's why I take issue on the other side with the idea of once saved, always saved. It's not really that I disagree with that. It's that I disagree with what it communicates what that phrase communicates or maybe implies to a person it implies the fact that you know once you've ticked the box and you say okay hey i prayed the prayer i you know i did the did the thing i got baptized and now i'm done like i'm good for the rest of my life and i just i think that here's what the bible would say it says that uh it uses three different tenses to describe salvation right so it says that we we have been saved says past tense it says that we are being saved that's the present tense and then it also says that we will be saved so it uses all three tenses uh, to talk about salvation so salvation has a, a an issue in the past so it is something that happened in the past jesus died for us and he saved us it is something that is happening in the present he is saving me he is it's a continual work in my life you might call that sanctification but he is in the mm-hmm. process of saving me setting me free from different things in my life and and from sin uh the devil these kind of things right but then he's also going to save me like there will be a time when my salvation will be complete in a way that it is not yet and so i think those are really important kind of aspects that i would say to a person like yourself who says you know once saved always saved i'd say okay but let's let's actually drop that phrase how about we put it this way uh, a person who is truly saved will always be saved right and and here's why i say that if you go to hebrews chapter uh six we have this very interesting passage i'm going to read it to you 
and then kind of give you my thoughts on it. Because this is where a person like your friend, who uh, is a free will Baptist, where he's going to go generally to explain his position. So let me read it. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and from instructions of washing. Sorry, I'm going to actually skip down to verse 4. Here's what he says. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. So listen to this language. It's interesting. Who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own corruption and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Okay, here's, let me sum up what I, what I want to say with that. Listen to the words he describes. He says, there's a person and he describes that person and he says, and this person has fallen away. Okay, and so here are the adjectives he used to describe this person. They were enlightened. At one point, they tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. They tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And then they've fallen away. Um, and so here's what's so interesting about that is that, you know, if you were to give me a person and tell me that these are their qualities, they've been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. You know, they've tasted the, the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. They've fallen away. All these things. Um, I would say, man, not only do I want that guy not only do I consider that guy a Christian, I want him to be like an elder in my church. Like he sounds like an awesome guy. Like he gets it right. And then uh -huh. this guy falls away. So what this is showing us, I believe what this is saying is not a person who has lost their salvation. I believe this is speaking of a person who from all outward appearances had an experience of God and they, from all outward appearances appeared to be a Christian. They appeared to be a Christian. And yet at the end of the day, they were not. And so I think that's really important because Jesus talks about the same thing like in Matthew chapter 7, you know, the people who will say, he says, on the last day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And I'll say, I never knew you, you know, and, and he'll send them away. And so I think that's the really important thing that uh, people who take the once saved, always saved position need to keep in mind. Like I said, I don't actually disagree with that position. I just disagree with sometimes how it's communicated to people. And the implication can be that once you've ticked the box, you're kind of done. You're good. You can just kind of coast and you can uh, ride this thing out and you can kind of live and, and you, you know, do whatever you want. And I think that some yeah. people use that in a way that is unbiblical because they forget to keep this in mind. That there, What that means is that there are some people who think they are Christians, and in the end of the day, they're not. And so it's very important that once we have begun to walk with God, we continue to walk with God. We continue to walk in the power of the Spirit. Again, that's not our power. It's God's power. All that to say, I think those are kind of my two uh, responses to both sides. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand completely. Cool. Uh, and I, I appreciate the... The answer and everything that that really helped. I'm gonna study on that on that scripture you gave me, and and uh, I appreciate it. Awesome. Hey, thanks for calling in, Sean. God bless you. Okay. God bless you. 
All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have one open line. You can call in if you'd like to get on. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You can also text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Let's go to Dan, who wants a, who's a follow-up question on the 144,000. Hey, Dan. Dan, are you there? No, we lost Dan. Okay, let's go to Shireen on the next line. Hey, Shireen, are you there? I'm here. Okay, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing great. Good. Um, my question is kind of personal, and um, I actually just had somebody tell me this today because we were discussing my anxiety, and it's all centered around control and fear. A lot of it's fear-driven, and... Um, she gave me this verse and told me to sit on it, pray about it, and I'm just having a hard time kind of figuring out how I can or should apply this to my life so that I can close this fear gap in my heart. Okay. The um, verse is 1 John chapter 4, okay. 18. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear mm-hmm. has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what were your, you just wanted to share that first? Is that what you're thinking? Um, no, I just kind of want to understand it better and how I can apply that to my life. Um, what I take from that is because I have so much fear day to day, Obviously, um, I'm not made perfect in love right now. So how do I how do I try to get there? Yeah, you know, I would really want to encourage you not just with this verse because I think I think that this verse is correct. Of course, I, I think it's true. Um, and I would really say let's let's begin to uh, look at the second part of the verse because here's the here's my concern. If I just tell you, for example. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And then you say, but I'm struggling with fear. And then I say, well, you shouldn't be because perfect love casts out fear. Then right. at that point, I'm just kind of making you feel bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it almost sounds like that's kind of where you're at even is like you feel a little bit, um, you feel a little bit condemned or, or guilty for, for still struggling with anxiety, uh, yeah. even though you believe in God. So. Absolutely. So, and, and that's why I would say the answer to this, the, this problem cannot simply be for me to just tell you to knock it off, right? Like, here, here's what I would tell you is that you have to see something which actually, you have to see something which actually drives out your fear, that actually brings peace to your heart. You have to see something which is greater than the sense of fear that you have that overcomes it. And so that would be what I really want to help you see. So the second part of that verse says this, fear has to do with punishment. Now, I'm guessing that in your case, your fe- the fear that you're experiencing doesn't necessarily have to do with God punishing you. Is that correct? Is it more anxiety yeah. over, over maybe things are going to fall apart? Maybe things are going to go wrong. What if I do this and I fail or something like that? Is that- yeah, it's all it's all health centered. So it, it has very little to do with God, but a lot to do with him in the sense that even though I believe in him and I trust in him, I can't bring myself to remember that day to day to block out the fear and the anxiety that then comes on because 
I am scared that I'm sick or that something's wrong with me or something's going to, you know, fall apart with my kids and they're not going to be in good health. And it's just not, I I feel like I'm, I just might not be trusting him fully and I don't know how to get there. Okay. So here's, here's, um, I would say, so this punishment part is, is not really what you're struggling with, but what you are struggling with is something that this verse does address, which is that last part. It says that, uh, well, perfect love casts out fear, right? So let's, uh, let's talk about that, right? How does perfect love cast out fear? Well, part of God's love is manifest. God's love for us is manifested in a couple different ways. Ultimately, it's manifested in how he has saved us in Christ, right? That's what Romans says, that he shows his love for us in this, that he gave his son for us. He did not withhold Mm -hmm. his son from us. But here's another way that God's love is manifested for us throughout the Bible. It says that God's love is manifested in how he provides for us, how he takes care of us, and how he providentially takes care of us and guides our lives and, and those kind of things. So I would actually take you to the Sermon on the Mount, where and it actually talks about anxiety. And so um, I'm going to go there right now. So this is in chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to read you this text instead. And, and really, I guess I'll just be, you know, fully full disclosure with you. What I want to do is to help you to see something which is more powerful than the anxiety which you're experiencing, you know, more powerful than the fear. So here's what he says. Jesus talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And so that that is a very important question that he's asking. He's saying, now consider this. Are you not more valuable to God than the animals? Because God provides for the animals. Wouldn't he take care of you? especially if you're his child. Then he goes on, he says, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of those. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows all that you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I think there's some very important advice in here that he's giving. He's saying that, being anxious about things won't actually help you. Um, and beyond that, he's giving you the power to not be anxious, which is this. The power to not be anxious comes from knowing that God um, that God loves you. And that's where that, that prior verse, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Knowing that God loves you and that he is going to provide for you, that he is going to take care of you. And this gets to the point of, you know, this is one of the main themes of the Bible, that um, even when it seems that God is being quiet, so to say, when God, mm-hmm. when you, you're not hearing God's voice, you're not sure what's going to happen, that God is still active. And one of my favorite stories is the story of Joseph, where it, you know, it's interesting that through the book of Genesis, you see God showing up and, and presenting himself to people, doing miracles, speaking, and things come into existence, and talking audibly to people. And then we get to the life of Joseph, and a lot of really 
bad things happen to Joseph. And at one point he even cries out to God for help and nothing happens. And actually his problem doesn't get solved. And then he, you know, he goes through this series of, of difficulties. And in the end, God uses all of those things for good in his life to the point where at the end of his life, he's able to say all of the things that other people meant for evil, God meant them for good and for the salvation of other people. In other words, God not only saved and blessed Joseph, but God used all of those things for good and for the good of many people. So I guess my, my thought is how do, how do we apply this to your life? I really want you, and, and again, I can say this to you all day long. It really needs to be something that you begin to feel and believe and truly trust in, that mm-hmm. God absolutely loves you. He has shown that love for you in Christ and in his provision for you in your life. And he is going to continue to do that. He has promised to do so. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. I'm going to pray I, on it. I'm trying yeah, to let I, all that sit in. <laughs> can I pray for you before yeah. you go? Okay, let's yes, do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray for our sister here. And we ask, Lord, uh, for Shireen. And we ask, Lord, that you would calm the anxiety in her heart. Lord, we pray that you would uh, slow down the anxious thoughts, that you would stop them. And Lord, that when they come and they attack her, Lord, that she would be ready to respond and that she would be, uh, she would have your spirit in her heart, in her mind, Lord, reminding her of the words of Jesus. Lord, we know that that is one of the works of your spirit, that you remind us of the words of Jesus. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do that as she goes about her day, as anxious thoughts start to creep up, as the heart rate starts to rise. Lord, we pray that you would be there and you'd remind her of these words of Jesus, that that she is loved and that you are committed to providing for her. And so, Lord, I pray that she would be get to that place of peace where perfect love truly does cast out fear. And, Lord, that she get the place of, of trusting in you and having that peace. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, yeah, God bless you, Shireen. Thank you. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Taking your calls and texts, we are coming up on the last couple minutes of our show. The number to call is 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Dan in Parker, Colorado. Hey, Dan. Hey, how you doing? Doing Um, great. What's up? I heard the caller um, talking about the 144,000 um, Jews in the Book of Revelation, and I've been studying eschatology for the last nine months. Okay. Um, so, and I also go to a Messianic Jewish congregation, so I don't okay. know if it's necessarily their view or exactly whose view it is. But um, if we look at it like the fullness of the Gentiles has to come in, so mm-hmm. the, uh, the the church is raptured up as far as that view is, and then they spend the seven years in heaven. While we get raptured up, the Jews that don't believe in Yeshua or Jesus currently, that's when they're like, oh my gosh, we missed him twice, and then they believe in Jesus then at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So once you believe in Jesus, that's how you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then they're able to preach to the ends of the nation um, throughout the, the end times. Um, and then if you, we think about it like, we were they were grafted out of the olive tree so we could be grafted in but mm-hmm. then once he could once we're grafted in he could refocus his energy back onto that branch and regraft the juice back if that makes sense i guess no i absolutely agree with you 
100%. And so what you're saying is that the number 144,000 speaks of the fullness of the Jews. So it's a symbolic number rather it's than actually, a... Actually, I think the, it's a literal number. Oh, you do believe it's a literal And they will be 144,000 with the two witnesses on the mount, and they will actually okay. preach to the ends of the age. So I actually think it is a literal number. I don't believe mm -hmm. that those are the only ones that are going to be saved. I think those are the ones that are going to be sealed mm. to preach to the ends of the nation. Right, so 144,000 Jewish evangelists, so to say. Yeah, and they have to be virgin Jews as well, too, because it specifies that. You oh, know? that's right. It does say that. So so it's a very select group of Jewish men. And I think, you know, it's because all of the Jews in Israel today don't believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I wasn't aware of this until I started attending the Messianic Jewish congregation about nine months ago. So mm -hmm. I was just trying to dig into the Jewish roots and try to figure out where we came from. Right. So, yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I think that we're on the same page. So. Okay. So I hope yeah. that adds a little bit of clarification. I actually think it is, you know, I think it's just the Jews, and I think it's after we're raptured up. But then there's also, in the Jewish wedding, there's a type and a shadow for that. So when um, the, and I think Jesus is filling the uh, Jewish wedding um, groom, or the bridegroom, to a T. So once he paid the price for the bride, which is mm -hmm. us, he went to go prepare a place for us to worship, and then he's going to come back and get us so we could be where he is. So then we raptured and we raptured up. And then after a Jewish wedding, you consecrate the marriage for seven days. Well, after the seven days, the bridegroom and the bride come out and you have the wedding feast. So I think we're going to be raptured up there with Jesus for seven years. And then we come back down and we have the wedding feast with the Jews after the Great Tribulation and we set up the Millennial Kingdom. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think we're talking on the same page here, uh, 100%. I think that... Um... You know, I think the only question we had asked earlier was, is the number symbolic or is it literal? I know that people go back and forth on that. I think and, it's actually literal. Right, and yeah. I and and I, I don't disagree with you on that point. Um, and I think that you make a good point that these are people. So these are Jewish people who become saved dur at, during the tribulation period, and then they're sealed and they become actual evangelists. So. Right. And if we, we look at, like, Ezekiel, I think it's 40 through 48, it talks about the millennial kingdom, and that seems all very literal to me, so that's why I take this literal as well. Cool. Hey, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for All right, God you bless do. you. All right, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are coming up on the final few minutes of our show, so we're going to go to our text line and look at some of the text messages that have come in. We have one person who texts, uh, if one spouse is actively having an affair and the other spouse wants to make it work, what is the biblical response to give the spouse who wants to make it work? He is currently allowing her to have an affair until she makes up her mind. He doesn't want to lose her. Should he address the sin? Um, man, that first of all, that's a very, very difficult situation that you are in, and uh, my heart goes out to you, and really, we're going to pray for you before we end the show. Here's, I got a couple answers for you. Number one, should you address the sin? Absolutely. Absolutely, you should address the sin, and here's why. Um, not because you want to make this person feel bad, but because you want to bring them out of it. See, here's the thing about sin. It doesn't just destroy families. It destroys the person's soul. It destroys their relationship with God. Look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. He says, My ear is not so far that I cannot hear. My hand is not so far that I cannot reach out. But 
you know, your, your uh, sins have separated you from your God. And so that, that is so important that sin is devastating for not only the people who are affected by its repercussions, it's also devastating for the person involved in it. So to really love this person, you should absolutely address this sin. You should call them out of it. If you want to uh, make this work and forgive this person and have this relationship restored, I think that is very honorable. And so I, I want to encourage you in that. Um, you, you probably know that this is the one instance in which the Bible does give an uh, out for divorce where it says, hey, you know, this is the one thing that Jesus said. He said, uh, you know, Moses allowed this was the one reason why you would, a divorce would be allowed. But it doesn't mean that it has to happen, right? Like it doesn't mean that you have to get divorced in this case. And if you want to stick around with your wife and have her come back and restore the wedding, uh, restore the marriage, I think that's very honorable and, and a good thing to do. We see that example in the Old Testament. Um, Hosea doing the same thing with his wife. So let me pray for you and give you wisdom. But to your one question, should you address the sin? Yes, you should absolutely address the sin. Uh, and you should do it directly. And like, so there's no question about it. You should absolutely direct, address the sin. And then my advice to you after that would be, once she has come back, get in a church and get counseling. Get counseling. Whether it's from a Christian counselor or from a pastoral counselor, get counseling uh, and and get this marriage restored. So I'm going to pray for you as we end our show. Heavenly Father, I pray for this person who is um, struggling in their marriage and this, this affair that is going on. Lord, I pray that this affair would end, that you would restore this marriage, and that you would be glorified. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I will be with you again next Monday. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.